0: I am a sea of love, I am a sea of love. I am a sea of love. I am a sea of love. You are a sea of love. You are a sea of love. We are a sea of love. We are a sea of love.
1: Hello and welcome to the Womb Center Healing Podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, just wanted to share a few announcements for this um, late summer fall of 2021. First of all, and um, I you may have been hearing me introduce myself as Sama Morningstar for quite some time. And I have recently made the decision to go back to using my birth name of Jessica and my married name of Huckabee. So you'll hear me introducing myself as Jessica from here on out. Uh, If if you're curious about the, the reasons why I'm making that transition, you're welcome to reach out to me and I'd be happy to talk with you more about it. The other announcement that I want to make is that this episode that you're—well, I'm creating a series of episodes— uh, for this fall uh, all about ancestral healing uh, and this all of this is leading up to and sort of wetting our appetite for the month-long ancestral healing program that I will be hosting starting October 31st and this program is part of the Biomystical Womb Apprenticeship Program but you can join just for the month-long ancestral healing program Portion, And in this program, I will be holding space for you to discover your connections with your ancestors and find healing connections so a lot of people are concerned about connection, connecting with their ancestors, especially the more wounded um, or difficult ancestry. And so it stops them from exploring ancestral healing. And in this program, we will explore ways to be able to access the wisdom and the healing um, parts of our ancestry to and, and to help us liberate ourselves from the wounding patterns of the unhealthy and difficult aspects of our ancestry. So if this is of interest to you, go to wombcenteredhealing.com and look for the Ancestral Healing course. And um, all of these podcast episodes... Uh, for the next month or so, we'll be, we'll be discussing various aspects of ancestral healing with the, with the guests on the show. So, looking forward to sharing that all with you. And um,
0: I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello,
1: and welcome to the Womb Centered Healing Podcast. I'm Jessica Huckabee, and I have Janet Brent with me here. Thank you so much for joining us, Janet. I've been um, collaborating with Janet on publication projects here for a little while. Um, And actually we're getting ready to publish. Is it all right if I announce the the book? We're getting ready to publish a collaborative book called Birth um, coming up in the next number of months. So keep, Keep your ears perked and your eyes perked for for announcements about that. Um, And today, however, we are here to talk about ancestral healing as part of the Ancestral Healing podcast series. So Janet, I would love for you to introduce yourself a little bit more and share about your experience and process
2: around ancestral healing. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. So my name is Janet Brent. I'm a book doula, a four times bustling author. I think it's hard to keep track uh, through my multi-author book collaborations that I facilitate and co-facilitate. I'm the owner of Dark Quarks Publishing and I've taken over 120 entrepreneurs and coaches to bestselling author through these uh, book collaborations. So it's a lot of fun. And I also do sell little books as well. I got my start through graphic web design because I was really into publication design. So that led me to the publication or publishing route.
0: Mm.
1: Yes. I'm, I've been learning, uh, a lot about publication, and it is a tricky field. So, I just want to uh, celebrate your expertise and express gratitude for your support that you've uh, given me along my tumultuous journey uh, to become a published author. So, I'm super grateful for that with you. And, um, you know, they're, they're, it's very tender uh, to have our voices be heard through becoming a published book author you know I mean I certainly am out there writing blogs and social media posts and having a podcast and all those things seem a lot easier than actually becoming a published author so it's so wonderful anybody who's out there and I've published I've done self-publishing in the past I used to make homemade uh, self-bound poetry books that I published and and sold at the newsstand but nowadays with all the self-publishing technology and all the things that that go along with that it's not as easy as it sounds at first and so I'm super grateful and anyone out there that might be considering that um, I highly recommend Janet as an ally and a resource for for um, that journey And I also just want to say a few words and I'd love for you to share about how um, becoming a published author feels like an ancestral healing in and of itself, Uh, especially if we are writing from our unique perspective. Each of us has a unique perspective. Each of us has had a unique journey. And I know in my book writing process and projects, ancestral the healing has been a central part of what I'm writing about and bringing forth um, my unique identity, my unique message is very much influenced by the ancestral lineage um, that has given me the gifts and challenges that ultimately uh, result in even more gifts that I have to offer in a book project, um, in a, in a publication that then when we write it in a book, we have the opportunity to, to share with, with the world and bring the wisdom of our lineage, um, into the world. And so just this book publishing process seems, seems quite relevant to the ancestral healing, uh, journey especially since a lot of the perspectives that I write about were silenced for many generations were not valued you know the the, many of the ancestors that I connect with didn't have the opportunity to to write down their perspective and and publish it in a book And so, and share it with the world. And so it feels like, you know, being the first published book author in my lineage feels like a big healing. And I imagine others might relate to that as well. So I'm really curious to hear about your ancestral healing journey and how it relates to this work publishing books.
2: Yeah, it is a huge undertaking. And one of my like slogans for the book publishing is to break generational curses through like having your message be your movement. And as you were talking, there was something that came through from struck for me, like your gifts and challenges and just that whole journey. And my insight is that your challenges are your gifts because it's kind of like the other side of the coin of the challenge um you may have heard advice where people say that when you are going through like a challenge or a problem quote unquote and that is usually the thing that you're meant to teach about and that's because it's that hero's journey right when you go through your trials and tribulations and challenges you have your dark night of the soul you come through on the other side of that transformation with that gold, that gift and and you can then alchemize that into this know- knowing this knowledge, and then this mentorship you become the mentor, the teacher, and the guide, and that's what you sort of come home to. I call it coming home to your divinity, but it's all tied into the ancestral work, and I didn't even realize it. It was actually my business partner when we teamed up that was her original slogan was the breaking generational curses and before her that wasn't really in my in my like thought I I wasn't really even thinking of it in that way before and so it was just like breaking breaking new layers of understanding because after we partnered And there was something there about the breaking generational curses. I wanted to like delve deeper and I ended up taking a ancestral healing program called DNA Codes. And so I learned a lot there in relationship to the ancestors and how, when you, when you're like the one who goes first or the one who breaks the pattern, then you can live Basically, it's like you're living your legacy, and you can change your story and you can write your own story. And that's the power in it the power of writing is such a healing process.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: Yeah, it's been a central process for me writing an ancestral healing journey, in that, you know. <clears throat> Rewriting even not only my own story, but the story of my ancestors as well has been part of my writing from the womb journey of really connecting with the ancestors that I might have little bits and pieces of information about, and then writing in the story to fill in between those bits and pieces. Has been this fascinating journey of discovery of, you know, and, uh, you know, whether or not I'm accurate in rewriting the story doesn't really matter because it's, it's a healing of the story in a lot of ways. So uh, it's not about writing accurately the actual story of this ancestor's life, it's about writing uh, a healing into the story. Uh, For me, that's been my process with writing. And and what I'm, what I'm also hearing you share about is perhaps a, a healing process in, in writing about our challenges from a different perspective and the transformation in writing, in writing a book. Because usually if we have if we have a book to write, we're talking. We're writing about a transformation that we went through personally, and and wisdom that we can now articulate that we didn't have at a certain point. Right, we're looking back on our story, what happened to us in the past, perhaps even what happened to our ancestors, patterns, perhaps. I what what I hear you talking about with. Ancestral curses, the way I understand that term is that there are patterns that we might be stuck in because our ancestors, and they might not be very healthy patterns, patterns of living or um, structures in our lives that we might be stuck in because it got passed down to us in our DNA, Uh, you know, our whole biochemistry might be sort of wired uh, in that way to be in certain unhealthy patterns of living. And all of humanity is sort of struggling with <laughs> big <laughs> ancestral curses as we speak of how do we get free of some of these systemic structural patterns that are really unhealthy and self-destructive. And so each of us individually um discovering ways to liberate ourselves from those patterns, those ancestral curses, if you will. There's so many different terms for mm-hmm. that. There, you know, epigenetics is one way of talking about it. You know, DNA codes, patterns is one way to talk about it. You know, there's, you know, all kinds of psychological theories about how of development of how we develop, you know, growing up. I talk a lot about what happens when we're conceived and when we're gestated in our mother's womb and, and the way that that programs our DNA. And so I'm curious to hear more about what you learned in that course, working with the DNA and how it helped you to help you personally, perhaps you have a specific story that you can tell us because storytelling, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, a, specific, a specific story Uh, about how you, through whatever um, process that you were learning, you managed to liberate yourself from a specific pattern that you can describe and relate to your ancestral patterning that you inherited, but then managed to flip it or shift it or find the the pearl in the oyster, if you will.
2: Mm. I would say that my journey is still ongoing, in yeah. process of. But... Me too. It's good <laughs> think... for us all, right? We have a lot
1: of generations of ancestral curses to process, right? But we can we can pick one that might have gotten to, you know, a place of transformation.
2: Yeah, there's never any destination. I think the journey is a destination. Yes, indeed. That's part of it. So, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of funny, but in the middle of the course uh, the halfway mark I ended up getting a mini stroke or it was like a brain bleed a Uh small brain bleed in my brain or (laughs) there's another other words for there's somebody I forget like the technical terms and brain bleed or brain hemorrhage but one of those things Mm -hmm. and 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 it was caused because of my high blood pressure and that is definitely a patterning that has been from generation to generation. Um, I don't know my biological dad, I never met him. So that part isn't clear for me. But as far as my ancestry on my mom's side, everyone had it. Everyone had high blood pressure, or um, some ha- have had strokes, like the actual big strokes, the major strokes. Mm things like that so that is that does run in my family history for sure and it was a point in time when I was also at my most probably at my most heaviest and I was in a hypertensive crisis like my high blood pressure was so elevated that in the scale of um from good normal blood pressure to like the pre pre hypertension, I was at the very top end of the scale or like blowing off the charts, mm. uh, which is like you wouldn't have you wouldn't have thought of that for me if you just see me normally. And just people, the doctors were kind of even surprised by it because I look so young, and I am young. I'm still thirty eight, and So that process just helped me to see that I needed to slow down and just come back to that self-care, that come back to pleasure, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't really in my pleasure, like in terms of finding what feels good in my day-to-day life and really being in that more present moment feeling. And so... After the fact, I'm still on my blood pressure medication um, on new ones, because part of the reason I was in hypertensive crisis was because I didn't take my blood pressure medicine for three years. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like kept kept getting really bad until this and it happened during a time of. Um, not being in control of my emotions. So not having emotional mastery as well. Mm -hmm. I had like a really angry burst. And so I think the lesson that I learned is that again, like I needed to slow down and that I was starting to maybe figure out how to eat better or like have better eating choices and I also have felt like I had a third eye awakening after the stroke like I almost felt like there was more clarity that came through
0: mm-hmm.
2: and in terms of my purpose in life or what I need to do to get my business more successful or just different ways to continue to expand uh, that expansion process and so I launched Rebel Romance, which is my very latest multi-author book collaboration. And I've been able to fill that easy more easily than other book collaborations. And it's it is more of a pleasure-based, like I'm embodying more pleasure, but as that is happening, like the program is also about being in your pleasure mm. and all of these things like without even really so the stroke happened in mid-June and now it's first week October early October um, without even really trying because I wasn't trying to lose weight I was just trying to feel better and make better decisions uh, change the way I eat even if it's not perfect um not to like uh not to beat up, beat yourself up if it's, if it's not perfect, mm-hmm. but just to be more mindful. So there's like more mindfulness practice coming back into what I do. And I've been able to lose nine pounds since the stroke happened. And that wasn't without, that wasn't like, I wasn't trying to do it and I'm not like working out <laughs> I'm still not working out really. I'm just doing more movement in terms of like, the kriyas that I do is a very like movement meditation because there's a lot of hand gestures when you do the kundalini kriyas and breath work. So I feel that. And then I also do some dance flow sometimes, but again, not like regularly. It's just whenever I feel like it.
1: Wow, quite a journey. And it's it's interesting because I've just been studying about... Um, studying cardiology. I I shared with you before we got on the call that I've been going back to school, moving towards becoming a pelvic floor physical therapist. I think this might be the first time I've shared that on the podcast. Um, And uh, I've just, I'm just in the, the sort of prerequisite coursework of anatomy and just went through the whole segment on cardiology and learning about what causes high blood pressure. And I've had um, fairly minor heart palpitations, but I know that high blood pressure does run in my family as well. My grandmother struggled for many years with high blood pressure and it really affects the brain too. That was one of the main concerns, but she was also struggling with Alzheimer's and um, we're not sure exactly what, what caused her to finally pass in the end um she just sort of didn't wake didn't really wake up all the way one day and didn't eat and by that night she was gone and since there was no there was a do not resuscitate order she was in her late 80s and suffering from pretty severe dementia so and and rapidly progressing dementia so there was a there was not there was a do not resuscitate order in her in her chart so and the facility she was at honored that but, and so there was no big medical intervention when she didn't quite wake up all the way. They just notified the family, and we were able to say our goodbyes. And, and she passed very peacefully, actually. Um, so we're not sure if it had something to do with her heart, but in any case, the, the well being of, of our heart and my heart personally and and its relationship to our stress levels anxiety the brain the nervous system mm-hmm. and how our blood flows and then ancestry is all about our our blood con- connection you know mm-hmm. we call that our blood right our blood ancestry
0: it's true a, yeah
1: isn't that what we call yeah. it and and mm-hmm. our heart is how our blood circulates through us. And and we can think about blood in a biological way of the viscous fluid that transports oxygen and nutrients throughout our body and and helps to eliminate waste. We We also have a very spiritual idea about blood. And in fact, in Chinese medicine, blood has a much more energetic, much more expansive, um, quality to it. When you talk about blood deficiency, it's not just a deficiency in the physical blood in your body, but it's also a deficiency of, of the, a certain kind of nourished energy, uh, of being nourished by our energy and by our ancestry and by our blood, right? Our blood connections and that, and that community of ancestry that we have and then of course we have the relationship of our with our menstrual blood and how our blood flows as as womb bearers and menstruators and i know you're a mom too so the the blood that we nourish our our descendants with that's the blood connection right and we talk about the blood brain barrier and how our blood is nourishing our brain and now here you're talking about this bleed in your brain. And, and so I'm, I'm just um, fascinated that this topic is coming up here uh, through your story and your journey with healing this ancestral lineage of, of hypertension. And uh, you know my, my work, I call my work bio-mystical, right? So there's uh, the biological qualities of these types of things, and then there's the mystical aspects and where they come together is where I love to 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 explore and so hypertension or high blood pressure as far as I understand because I was just in the all the anatomy of it is where um, the what I understand is that and why it's related to diet is that when there's stress our blood vessels, our arteries and our blood vessels um, can have some damage that might happen when we have toxins or stress. And in order to patch up the damage in the blood vessels, um, our body sort of collects fats there. And that can build up and and become hardened in order to fortify the the blood vessels. Cause it's really important that our blood vessels aren't leaking out through holes and and damage, right? So our body really tries to fortify that, but then that builds up because what happens is um, we have cells that that try to um, break that down. Mm-hmm. and gobble up that, those ex- excess fats, but then they overeat and then they turn into a bigger foamier thing. Cause they die. They, they, they overeat and they die those cells.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and then that's what creates a bigger and bigger, um, like buildup of fats mm-hmm. on the insides of our blood vessels, which constricts the amount of space where the blood can flow and mm-hmm. it also diminishes the amount of um, action in the blood vessels themselves because the arteries particularly have a muscular quality where they're pumping the blood and keeping the blood moving freely just like the heart contracts and relaxes in order to pump the blood to to flow through the body, the arteries are also pumping and contracting. And then, uh, so that's usually where that buildup becomes a problem, that buildup of fats and dead cells that have overeaten Um, That's. I just think it's so ironic that the same thing that's happening on the on the macro level that maybe we're eating too many of the kinds of foods that aren't so good for us is also happening (laughs) on this micro level of these cells are trying to like get rid of this excess fats and then they kill themselves overeating (laughs) and then they become their they become this buildup. So then that hardening restricts the amount that the that the, um, that, the va- that the arteries can be involved in pumping the blood and it restricts the space
0: mm-hmm.
1: where the blood can flow through. So then the heart has to work harder and there's more pressure because there's less space, right? And there's less mm-hmm. um, movement in, in the arteries. And so um, blood pressure medication usually thins the blood so that it can... Flow more freely and make the work of the of the heart easier to get through that. But if there if you have blockages in there that are really restricting restricting the flow of the blood, and they can actually block the flow of the blood. It can become problematic for the heart um, or whatever area that artery is is feeding, right? Uh, include And the ones that are most serious are the ones that are feeding the heart itself. And that's when we get a heart attack is when the, the coronary arteries, because the, 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 the heart uses like a huge amount more oxygen to keep pumping every day, all day long and all night long. It uses a huge amount of oxygen and it needs that it needs full blood flow to itself in order to keep going. But when we have that buildup of of um, fats on the inside of the of the arteries and they get blocked and part of the heart isn't getting the blood that blood flow that it needs, then that's when we have a heart attack. But also, like in the brain, if there's high blood pressure and there are weak weakened parts of the of the arteries and veins, then that's when you know, blood can, can leak into the brain. And that's what you're talking about too. So that's where the blood comes out into the brain. And I'm just geeking out on the anatomy of all of this. And maybe this is information you already know, but, but looking at all of this, then, you know, if we look at that in the biological and anatomical sense, it's one thing. And then if we look at it in the spiritual sense it's in the mystical sense it starts to have another meaning and and already in what you were sharing um the sense of having more movement just in your life and what gives you pleasure um Mm -hmm. because the the other thing that causes that tension is when our nervous system is stuck in fight and flight mode Um, and that's what causes the damage to the arteries and veins in the first place because the when we're in fight and flight mode all the time there's certain biochemicals that are released into our system that causes damage to the arteries and veins because we're we're only supposed to be in fight and flight mode 10 minutes a week you know that's what we're designed but those the, the, the cortisol all the time, those hormones all the time cause damage to our tissues, which then has this other effect, right? And so, but pleasure is the opposite of that. And pleasure is the remedy for that. And just looking back on our ancestry, how many of our ancestors got to focus on pleasure? No, they had to fight and, and run for their lives often Mm -hmm. most of the time it was a constant struggle just to survive in many of our ancestors i don't know if you've looked into some of those stories and what that is for you but i know in my lineage it was definitely struggle 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 and pleasure was not only not available it was also often quite forbidden Mm. and taboo to even focus on especially like sensual sexual pleasure, which is what I'm assuming your rebel romance book has an aspect of that, right? This uh, sounds somewhat of uh, like an erotic stories kind of compilation, which sounds kind of fun and exciting. But for many of our ancestors, that kind of pleasure, pursuing that kind of pleasure was taboo and forbidden. And so it's all of this is is quite a quite a turnaround from what many of our ancestors experienced what you're describing and so i'm curious um, uh, what kind of connections you've made between these practices that are so healing for you of um focusing on pleasure and focusing on pleasurable movement because that's what i am hearing you say is that you want to focus on dance and these you know, spiritually um, enlivening movement practices like breath and kundalini um, kriyas and things like that, that, that I find to be quite pleasurable and um, quite enlivening in a very different way than say going to the gym and doing a workout, much more pleasure oriented. Yeah. And so I'm curious if you've made some connections with the kinds of relationships that you're ancestry your mom your grandmother your your grandparents your great-grandparents might have had with pleasure and whether or not that was taboo as you Mm -hmm. know when you were when you were growing up what did your parents teach you particularly about sexual pleasure and is that a revolution in and of itself to be claiming that for yourself
2: that's a great question i uncovered in my DNA codes program, uh, a bit more about my ancestry because I didn't know anything about my ancestry before that. But I actually found out that at least my great, great, is it great, great or great, great, great <laughs> uncle- A few
1: generations back, right?
2: Yeah. Kind of far back, but not too far back or it still feels close he my great 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 uncle it, and his family had had a tobacco business and then they also started a sugar cane business and so at one point they were one of the wealthiest families in Cebu island philippines and they owned a lot of properties in cebu the majority of the properties at one point and so it was like they had three businesses like real estate sugar cane and tobacco and then they decided to open a a organization it's like a non not-for-profit organization for like a home for the aged for people who are elderly and don't have a place to stay or are poverty stricken or things like that. And it still runs today. I think they founded it in 1921 or the 1920s sometime and it still runs today. And part of his legacy he left behind when he died in his will, it said that all of his properties would go to this home for the aged and, and the people who will, are able to run the home are in the in our family, the Kui family. So I feel like there is some wealth in my family, but at, at some point it kind of like gets mis- kind of diluted, like the telephone game. Mm. or something like that, where, like, my my side of the family maybe, like, sort of lost their way or just didn't really get that side of the, the aspect of being able to run this Home for the Aged, because I think there's other queer families that are running it right now, not directly my family or, like, my family line, and so... That was part of my realization as I'm here to also help reactivate the wealth frequency, but also in terms of pleasure, like my mom didn't really talk much about it. And I was born without a biological dad. Like, so I was like, um, when you don't have a dad, on the will i was like um forget what the, i'm blanking on the name you mean your your dad wasn't on your birth certificate no yeah that's right
1: and my dad wasn't on my birth certificate either but there's a there's a specific term for that i have i've never heard a oh yeah term for that
2: i'm blanking on it it's, it starts with an i i think <laughs> i
1: don't know the term for that either <laughs>
2: Uh, You must have had a biological father. He just wasn't around. Yeah. Yeah. So she's never talked about that incident. And so I don't know anything about that circumstances. I don't know the story behind it. I do have a name of a first name of who my biological dad is. But um, I forget the last name because she only scribbled it down on a piece of paper like a year ago to me when I asked about it Mm -hmm. and she didn't say anything about it. She just showed me the photo or the paper. Mm -hmm. And again, no context of what it, what it is, no story behind it. So I, I wasn't able to remember the name because I didn't really have a context for it. So I feel like that pleasure is something that has been shamed before in my family or has been something like almost embarrassing. And even when I was a kid, like, you know, when you're just naturally as kids, you you explore yourself, and your body, and it's not thing to be shameful of. But she caught me when I was eight. Uh I just felt like I didn't know what it was. Obviously I didn't um know the name masturbation or I've never heard of the term, but like I just remember discovering that it feels good <laughs> to um, touch yourself <laughs> down there. And I would only do it over the panties because it never occurred to me to, to like not have the underwear. there as a barrier, but so that's what I would be doing under the covers. And she caught me one time and told me not to do it anymore. And I felt really embarrassed and ashamed without the context of, it being embarrassing in the first place right so that's kind of like the story that I've had to overcome and really reclaiming my pleasure Mm. but pleasure is not just you know the sensual and sexual it's just anything that feels good anything that you desire like if you want to have ice cream or something then eat ice cream without any guilt Mm -hmm. and
1: So were there other contexts besides being caught pleasuring yourself under the covers? Were there other things that you that were pleasurable for you growing up that your mom that was discouraged in your family? And I mean, and I'm just curious about the lifestyle, because it sounds like your mom was probably a single mom, at least for a period of time, which can be quite a struggle. Um, I don't know exactly where where you grew up, if when when did your family
2: come to the U.S.? Yeah I was three years old um I think I was like two months before I two or three months before turning four so I was almost four years old
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and because my mom had married an American Mm -hmm. and again like pleasure not being necessarily sensual doesn't have to mean sensual things ways that they kind of stopped me from pleasure pleasures. Just like when I was younger, I really liked the summer school programs where I, I would have like these activity workbooks that I could do during summer breaks and math and English type subjects. And I really loved doing them. And then uh, they stopped giving me that because it was like a monthly service, I'm sure, or some sort of thing where they had to pay money for it. They stopped giving that to me, and I, I really liked it. They had, remember, there was like a poster that you could hang up on your wall that showed, shows your progress, or like, it was kind of like a path type thing that you could do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they took that away. And At one point, I wanted to do um, take ballet classes, and it never happened. Mm so just different things like that where i wasn't able to fully explore all of my interests. Mm.
1: And what about your parents? Did you see them following a path of pleasure or were they did they have different motivations? I mean, most of us my parents pleasure was not a legitimate motivating priority, right? Uh, and just in the general culture, you know, pleasure is not not legitimized as as a motivating um, priority,
2: uh,
1: and so I'm curious. I mean, we absorb that from our parents, right? Can Can you share a little bit about
2: that? Um, yeah, I would say that 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 wasn't a priority for them. Didn't have a lot of extracurricular things going on, or I just what, what do you? You just remember. I just remember, like mostly them working, mm-hmm. and then just being in the house watching TV or reading the newspaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my dad would be doing that. Didn't really interact with me much.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. So work
1: being the priority. Mm-hmm. That's quite a that's quite a legacy that I think is is quite universal or in our collective awareness that and and deliberately so I mean our public school system is designed to train us to be good workers Mm -hmm. and that that sort of channels most people into that role of just being focused on work and setting pleasure aside. And it sounds like with your recognizing this shift and this healing for your health to reprioritize pleasure and to reclaim the, the possibility of wealth from your family lineage. And, and I'm curious about that. Um, I mean, I don't, It doesn't seem like you're on the trajectory to create wealth in the same way that your great, great, great uncles did um, necessarily, Um, but that that you talked about wealth being a frequency,
0: Hmm. uh,
1: which sounds to me like, uh, you know, we have the frequency of being the worker bee, that we were just talking about where the prior, it's not about pleasure, it's just about working, working, working. And, oh. and then it sounds like you're talking about a different frequency, a different way of living life that perhaps your great, great, great uncles were, were after or managed to, to create for themselves and the family and but not in a in a creepy way either I mean they were offering I hope what I hope was a valuable service to the community but doing so in a way that um perhaps had a different frequency and I'd be curious to hear more about their story and you know how 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 we can pair that wealth frequency with the pleasure frequency because there's plenty of people out there that are that are trying to claim the wealth frequency, but they're just as much of a worker, worker, work, 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 work all the time, even though they're owning this and owning that and having all kinds of wealth and like that, they're still in that work, work, work all the time, never have any pleasure frequency. So I'm curious mm-hmm. about how you feel you're being guided to weave those two together. To, you know, it's, it's very easy to just, apply that work mode to the acquisition of wealth
2: goal oh. right <laughs> <laughs> i love this conversation and i don't know if my ancestors were in a pleasure frequency or not mm-hmm. i do know that they were um one of the top philanthropists in cebu mm-hmm. i was like he basically gave up all his wealth when he died to for this organization that he had co-founded with his sister so my great great aunt or great 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 aunt and so they were both the two in the family the two siblings that did not have kids were not wed they never married in their lives and so I know he had like a big Spanish style house and at one point, he had wanted to adopt one of his um, relatives, like maybe a grandson or grandniece or something like that, but it never it never pushed through. I don't know if you're in the pleasure frequency.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious. I mean, you know, sometimes the unwed child-free people in the lineage have more Mm -hmm. to their story than meets the eye right I mean in the in the mainstream storyline of things you know if you don't you know everybody wants to know well who did they marry and who were their kids and if they didn't have Mm -hmm. either of those things they kind of fall to the wayside and nobody asks any more questions right but uh, but that's where I start getting curious. Well, what were their priorities then? Where did they uh, invest all of that energy? And obviously, we know that they were philanthropists and that they, you know, were in service to for the elderly. What happened in their in that beautiful home? and what did they do with that wealth? and how, what was their approach to life? And that's this is where the writing process for me, starts to fill in the blanks of in the ancestral healing journey because we can imagine what that was like and connect with the spirit of our ancestors because that spirit is in our DNA we can have the the essence the energetic of those memories we can access that in our DNA and I'm imagining that's some of what you explored in this coursework and and um that you might be curious to explore more and that's where the writing the the writing process takes me is like filling in the blanks and imagining what was their life like and what would it be like to have a conversation with them and ask them some of these questions in a meditative you know journey type thing in the writing you know you you write out an interview with uncle (laughs) so-and-so like what
2: very mystical because i i do feel a sense that i was almost being led to this course Uh uh-huh so that i could uncover this family lineage that i had no idea about Uh uh-huh um to sort of remind myself who i am and to be able to reactivate that well frequency so i almost feel like it's like my great great uncle wanted me to find this information and wanted me to know him and connect with him and Uh, Because what I do know is if if you are not wed in the early eighteen fifties or things like that, that you are kind of unconventional. Yeah, is it? And I'm unconventional as well.
1: Right, right. That's that's like the mystery, like. And, and those unconventional people kind of get written out of the family story because there's all this taboo around what might they be doing, right? Well, those are the people I want to get to know. What were they doing? What was going on for them, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, goodness, I could keep uh, conversing with you, asking more questions, um, but I think our time is winding down. So we talked earlier about um, uh an offering that you have uh uh i guess it's a journal book for folks can you can you share a little bit more about that 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 you're also gonna be um adding more into it about uh, to get help people get in touch with their ancestry as well can you share a little bit about that
2: yeah this is for uh a book around uncovering your gold like uncovering the gifts That you're here to offer in this world and if you are offering a business behind that or not I feel it's really helpful and it's got some journal prompts on ways to connect more with your ancestors and how that all relates with your gifts and and the genius that you're here to portray and that you're here to be a part of and connect with the world in your own unique way. Mm-hmm.
1: And as we've been talking today, it sounds like you're inspired to add more in there about connecting with your ancestry as your ancestral connection journey is developing. So, mm-hmm. um, so how might folks get a hold of this book? Can they? Um, find it on your website or how can they
2: yeah it's it's on my website and the link will be in the the notes
1: okay in the show notes great so we'll put the show notes we'll put the link to get this this is a free ebook is that right so people can use this journal, a workbook okay so it's like a journal where there's journaling prompts that people can write answer the questions in the workbook so it's your pleasure thing. You love those workbooks, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so you turn it into something to offer to others to enjoy, who enjoy that as mm-hmm. well. So wonderful. So we'll put the link in there. And listen, listeners also know that if you want to join us in the Womb-Centered Healing Temple for an ancestral healing month-long exploration, you can learn more about that by going to wombcenteredhealing.com and clicking under the online courses tab, you'll find the ancestral healing course there. You can also sign up for the newsletter and, um, listen to more of these ancestral healing podcast episodes. You'll see if you found this one, if you, if you look at the other, um, videos or audio episodes you know, on whatever platform that you found us, um, you'll see the other, um, interviews with other ancestral healing practitioners. So, um, listen in and join us on this journey of growth and learning and reclaiming the wisdom of our ancestors. And, um, yeah, any last words before we close out, Janet, any last words of wisdom?
2: Um, i just say to continue to live your own legacy, like you are the creator of your own life and you can live the way that you want to live it and feel so much better when you, when you do that, when you find what feels good in your heart, what your passions are, and then go for those passions. Mm,
1: beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. All right, that's all for now. Until next time, take good care.